Tonight we look at Lord's Day 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I invite you to turn in your hymnals to page 890 as we will be reading that responsively tonight. Lord's Day 35, page 890, and we'll be turning in God's Word first this evening to Isaiah chapter 40. That is page 599 in the Bibles there before you. Isaiah 40 is a favorite Old Testament passage of mine because it speaks of the greatness of the Lord in such marvelous fashion. It really sets before us His splendor. He is, like, he is unlike any other. Nothing can be compared to Him. In Isaiah 40, the prophet was speaking of the certain deliverance that God would give to His people. That through His powerful hand, He would deliver his people. And therefore, there was a word of comfort spoken to them as they thought about their present condition. And we, too, are to be comforted by this word of promise as God promises to deliver his people. And then we read of why we can have such confidence. It is because of the greatness of our God. Listen to the reading of God's word. Isaiah 40, starting at verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. And then this verse 18 and verse 25, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted Scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them and they wither. 
and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let us now look at Lord's Day 35. I'm going to be asking those questions and asking you to respond with the answer. Questions 96, 97, and 98. Question 96 asks, what is God's will for us in the second commandment? The answer, that we in no way make any image of God, nor worship him in any other way than has been commanded in God's word. Question 97, may we then not make any image at all? The answer, God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in in order to worship them, serve God through them. And question 98, but may not images as books for the unlearned be permitted in churches? The answer, no, we should not try to be wiser than God. He wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. Your congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, preaching is not short of its critics. There are many in these days and certainly in past decades and eras that believe that the word preached is a means by which we fail to fully communicate. The day of social media when we can watch anything we want, whenever we want, in an age where images everything, words seem so very weak. We hear or we are told that we are to get at it, to be active, to be engaged, to be involved. And there is something to be said for activism, if you will, if that's rightly understood, working out our faith with fear and trembling. But gathering together to hear the word preached seems so so out of touch, so irrelevant for us today. A waste of time, some would say. Should the minister really preach or would he be better off 
calling people to do work projects or to show videos or some other means of communicating or getting involved. If the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism were living today, would they write question and answer 98 the same way? That we should not try to be wiser than God. That he wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. I want you to notice something, and I want you to note that it is not only here in this Lord's Day, but note question and answer 96, how it begins. What does it say? And it says this throughout this section of the catechism. Over and over again, it asks, what is God's will for us? It says it there. It says it again in question and answer 99 and 103 and 104 and 105 and 108 and 112 and 113. What is God's will for us? We need to start there and we need to end there. What has God said? What is his will? God and God is our authority. His word is authoritative. He is the only God, as we saw in the first commandment, and he is the one who is to be worshipped, honored, and adored in a way that he commands. In the second commandment, we learn that we not only must worship, not worship, rather, false gods, but we must not worship the only true God falsely. Therefore, I ask again, is preaching a worthwhile endeavor and something to listen to? If you say, I don't think so, then you weren't listening. We don't ask ourselves, what do I think would be the best means? We ask, what is God's will for us? What is God's will for us? Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I invite you to turn there if you are so inclined we find out how God is preparing his people to enter the land that he has promised them. He is preparing to bring them into the land of promise. And that too is how we think of our sojourn, our pilgrimage. And when God speaks to us, he does so through his word. Deuteronomy chapter 4, he is speaking of the way that he has formed his people, spiritual formation, and what he does here and what is absolutely essential for us to understand is he gathers his people together and he speaks to them. This is a paradigm for how God wants to form his people. He gathers them together as we do in worship and he speaks to us. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses receives the Lord's words and communicates them to the people. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. The people, if you remember from Numbers 25, had worshipped and had uh, uh, adulterated themselves before God, worshipping false gods, clearly going against God's commandments, the first commandment. But he goes further to teach the people that they were not only to worship him only, but to do so in the way that he commands. Consider 
what we learn from this significant moment in the history of God's people. They're gathered together, verse 10 tells us. The Lord says to to Moses, gather the people together that I might speak to them, that they might hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And he reminds them that when they came near, they did not see a form, but heard the word of the Lord, verse 12. And then verse 15, Moses says, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. That ties in with Psalm 19 tonight. God declares in general revelation that He is apart from His creation. He has made all things. All of creation points to Him. We are not to worship created things. We are not to make an image of God that we think properly represents Him in our own means of reasoning. We are to hear the Word of the Lord and respond in obedience After the initial terror of hearing God's unmediated voice, God spoke through the prophet Moses. He preached to the people, Exodus 20 tells us, verses 18 and 19. Moses promised that after him one would come, a prophet would come, to whom they must listen. And God graciously provided a noble line of prophets speaking the Word of God to the people. Yet at the end of Deuteronomy, what do we read? That one who was to come had not yet appeared. Deuteronomy 34 tells us there has not, Joshua is stating this, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. They're still waiting for this one like Moses who saw the Lord face to face, that greater prophet. They waited, and in the fullness of time, God sent the prophet who is greater than Moses. God sent His Son. He, the worker of signs and wonders, by whom it was testified that He was from God, Peter preaches in Acts. The one who comes performing wonders. But He calls the people to focus upon His Word. What the Word says about Him. What the Word says about them. What God says to them. What is His will for the people that they would repent and believe. And it is fulfilled. It, is, it comes to a climax there on the Mount of Transfiguration when God speaks in no form, but a voice, and says, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. Hear the Word. 
Make no image of him. Listen to him. Well, we, of course, have that very obvious situation that Jesus is no longer with us today. What then, or rather, whom then, to whom shall we listen? The people of old listened to the prophets, waiting for that one to come, like Moses, greater than Moses. Today we're commanded to listen to the faithful preachers of that apostolic testimony of Christ, pointing to Jesus Christ, not making images, but rather hearing the word. The preached word about Christ is at the center of worship. For for Jesus is God's means of salvation. We're brought near to God as we draw near to Christ by faith. Not through innovation in worship. Not through our own ideas of what might draw us closer. But as we listen. As He is lifted up in preaching. The time of the Reformation. Illiteracy was high and Bible knowledge was low. The church declared itself to be a mediator between God and man. And it developed new practices not commanded in Scripture, which it said helped the unlearned to draw closer to God. It was liturgical innovation, and it was disobedient. The Reformers looked at God's Word and recognized that the paradigm in Scripture is God gathers His people that the Word might be preached. Any other ideas were attempts to be wiser than God. From the beginning, God formed a people by a word, with a word. Let us make man in our image. With a word, He made man. His word continues to form and to shape us. He has made us in His image. And after the fall, He comes by His Spirit to remake us in His image day by day. We don't look for images to portray God to the watching world. The astounding truth is, That we are to present God to the world. If that realization doesn't lead us to repent, then nothing will. That we fail miserably to portray the one true God before the world. But the world ought to see God in us. He dwells in us by His Spirit, Paul says. Jesus says that in John 14. We don't become God. We are part of creation. He is above creation. But He is in us. He declares this word to you as people. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. He wants the world to see your good works that they might glorify your Father who is in heaven, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. That they might see His love, His mercy, His concern for justice, His opposition to injustice, His compassion, His hatred of sin, His holiness, His nearness to sinners, His call to sinners to flee from sin. John states it this way in his epistle, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is seen through us. 1 John 4.12 
God is perfectly seen in His Son, the one whom we are called to conform to in our lives. Why must we not make any image of God? The writers of the Catechism tell us, they summarize the Scripture's teaching in this way, because we cannot, we cannot visibly portray God in any way. God is spirit and has no body as we do. He is infinite in his perfections. No idol can capture such perfection. The most memorable Old Testament example of this is when the Israelites made the golden calf. They thought they were, they were setting before the people something which would remind them of the one true God. The, the, the calf was a symbol of strength and they idolized God's strength. He had drawn them out of captivity, and they wanted to magnify that, that attribute, his strength. And indeed, that is something that we recognize in our God, strong to save. But in this making of an idol, there was disobedience. They were revealing what they most liked about God. You see, that's what often happens in our portrayal of God. We pick those, those attributes that we most like and we accentuate them and we say, these are true of God, and, and they are, but we often will camp out at one that we like. It happens down to this day. We idolize certain attributes. We like his love And soon we distort his love as that which overlooks sin. We speak not of his justice, his call to holiness. We see it often, don't we, that those who idolize God's love don't want to talk about his justice. The cross of Christ becomes merely a picture to show how much God loves us. He would go to such extremes. There's no talk about the substitutionary atonement that is taking place there, that he dies on the cross in our place, that God's justice against our sin might be satisfied. The other word that the writers of the Catechism use in this question and answer is that he may not be portrayed in image. It's not permissible. God does not permit it. He was and he is angered by any attempt we might make, attempt to make him visible. Remember that when the Egyptians did this, which was the immediate history of the people of God, when they made idols, they were not saying that these idols were their gods, but they believed that through these idols, they had some spiritual contact with God and could control their gods. Well, Much of contemporary spirituality tries to do the same thing. People are always looking for a kinder, gentler God, a more user-friendly God, one that would be adapted to suit their purposes. They think if they do this, then God will do that. And they say that when I do this and God doesn't reward me the way I think I should be rewarded, that God is unjust. But in that very idolatry, there is condemnation. God says, I will not be singular in the thinking among my people. 
All my attributes must be held before the people. Do not make an idol. He seeks obedient worshipers. True worshipers are obedient worshipers, those who worship in spirit and in truth. Well, when we hear such teaching, when we hear that word, spirit and in truth, we might think that spontaneous worship is better worship. Truer, purer form of worship. But we also are reminded that the Spirit does not work willy-nilly. The Spirit communicates truth and wants to connect us to the Word wherein God speaks. Ordered worship is not unspiritual, disobedient worship. To be sure, we can idolize a form. We can say, well, we've used the proper form, therefore we've properly, we've worshipped, when in fact we have only worshipped a form and not drawn near in our hearts to God. There is that possibility. There is that reality at times. But worship is not to be a free expression of individual likes and individual giftedness. That was Paul's words to the Corinthians when he saw their worship. He said, there's so much disorder here. Some of you eat before the others come uh, gather. Some of you are prophesying and there's no interpreters. Some of you are are doing this and that. and, And the worship is so chaotic that when the world comes in to look, they don't see the truth. They see chaos. What's going on here? They don't understand Who is being worshipped? Because he was not being worshipped rightly. Now, there are churches who say, we don't have a call. We don't have an order of worship. We, We simply just move in the Spirit. Well, I don't think that that's accurate. They know what elements they expect in worship. They are waiting for this or they're waiting for that. They may not have it down on paper. They may not have it written out for the people, but there is an order to it, whether they acknowledge it or not. So the question that we have is, is the order of service good or bad? How does one discern? There are some orders of worship that are better than others that is more faithful to God's instruction for worship. We have to remember God instructs us what is to be in worship. And I'm drawing us toward question and answer 96. For you see, in worship, there's an ever-present danger of over-transcendence or over-imminence. Over-transcendence is that God is beyond us. He doesn't speak to us. He's just out there somewhere. We can never expect a word from Him. It's simply a mystical experience that we can't explain. There is that danger. And then there's the over that he is one of us, just a buddy hanging out looking for a love song to be sung to him. What we must recognize is that the Bible teaches that in worship, God comes as covenant head. He is the covenant maker, and he comes to us in keeping with the covenant that he has established. As covenant head, he transcends creation, but... As covenant head, he also is intimately involved with his people. He has come close, but on his terms. He is Yahweh, the great I am who I am. You cannot describe me or define me in your terms, but he is also Emmanuel, God with us. 
When we talk this way, when we think about worship then, we must come to that, what we've come to know as the regulative principle of worship, question and answer 96. What is God's will for us in the second commandment? What is his will for us? That we in no way make any image of God, and then this phrase, nor worship him in any other way than has been commanded in God's word. That is our guide. That is how we discern worship in its, according to Scripture. What has God commanded? He has commands for worship. Israel learned that when Aaron's sons sought to bring innovation to worship and were struck down. Leviticus chapter 10. They offered unauthorized fire, that which was not according to God's command, and he struck them down. He cares that we worship Him alone, and He cares how we worship. He cares how we enter into worship, how we come in reverently, waiting for a word from Him. He cares how we sit in worship, listening carefully, not going in and out. He cares that we hear His word. He does not call for innovation in worship, but obedience and trust. Worship is word-centered, focusing upon God, the giver of the word, and Christ, the living word, who is believed upon through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do something tonight that may not appear all that terribly exciting. I want to take us through our order of worship. I want us to think about why we do what we do here. Do we follow Scripture? Where do these elements of worship come from? Perhaps you've done this. But let's look at that tonight. As we do, recognize the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant in the tearing of the curtain at the temple. Christ came. He removed all of that Old Testament sacrificial system satisfying it in his sacrifice that we might go in. We don't do those things anymore. We don't see animals being sacrificed, blood being shed. Christ has opened the way that we might come. That first off, new covenant worship looking different than old covenant worship. Let us look at this. God wants worship to be word-centered. Therefore, the ministry of the word begins with the call to worship from his word. God speaks and calls us to worship. One has said this about Reformed worship. Among the primary virtues of traditional Reformed worship is its God-centeredness. Its structure and content leave no ambiguity about what the people of God have gathered to do. There's no lack of clarity as to why we're here. We're here to worship whom? God. He comes down graciously. And he says, worship me. Not worship you or worship likes or dislikes. Worship me. We offer publicly to God our sacrifice and praise. Come now, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for we are His people and He is our God. We are the sheep of His pasture, the flock under His care. That's the call. He's calling to us to come and worship Him. 
The congregation may gather for various reasons on different occasions to conduct business at a congregational meeting, perhaps a prayer meeting or some other gathering, Bible study, evangelism, for fellowship. But when it gathers on the Lord's Day, it gathers to worship God. Then there is the invocation. We call upon the Lord because He is our help. In this covenant relationship, God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we say, come. We need to be delivered. We are incapable of delivering ourselves. Congregation, in whom is your help? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. We are invoking His presence. We are asking Him to be near. And then, the God upon whom we call graciously greets us with a word of grace and peace, saying, you may come into my presence, for I have made a way for you. Do not come in any other way. Do not be presumptuous. This is because of my grace and my mercy. And the minister raises his hands as God's representative, declaring God's word of grace, mercy, and peace. That ought to give us chills. And so often it's just, well, that's just how we do it here. And then we sing, and I'm not going to look at all the different times that we sing during the worship service, but we sing because Scripture calls us to sing. I will just briefly mention Psalm 100, verse 2, the command, serve the Lord with gladness, come into His presence with singing. So we sing. That is a part of worship, that is a part of our Worship in keeping with God's command. Then we read the law in the morning service. In the evening we read the Psalms. We, speak, we, we read of what God has done, what we owe to Him for His mercies. There is a call to confession. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. You see there when you stood up and read God's Word, the people heard and they confessed. O Lord, be gracious to us. Be merciful. And there is an assurance of pardon given from God in Christ, from various places in the Scripture. How can God grant pardon for our great iniquity? Christ has satisfied for our sins fully and completely that we might then enter into prayer. We've confessed. We've heard the assurance of pardon that opens the way for us to go to God in prayer. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence, the writer of Hebrews says, Chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, because of what Christ has done. No more need for animals to be slain, blood to be shed. Christ has opened the way. And then Scripture is read to be proclaimed. The Word of God comes before us. The second Helvetic Confession says that the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Done faithfully, done clearly, God speaks to us through His Word. This is no insignificant gathering. 
This is the high point of worship. We commit ourselves to the reading of the Word, the hearing God's Word. For faith comes from the hearing of the Word preached, Romans 10. The writers of the Catechism put that in this Lord's Day. And we confess our faith together according to Psalm 34, Hebrews 13. Let us confess His name together as we do toward the end of the service the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. We see the Lord's Supper, a regular element in worship, which we see and remember what Christ has done for us, and we believe that we are united to Him by faith in the sacrament, drawn up to not only hear, but to experience Him, taste and see that the Lord is good, experience that He is good, Psalm 34. in keeping with God's command. We ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, and we bring an offering and come before Him. There is an offering. 1 Chronicles 16.29 God calls for that. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, an offering. And then we come to the benediction. God's last word to you as you go forth is, I am with you. I am with you. We need to hear that every week, every day. We are not alone. He has purchased us to be His very own. And our response is doxology. Praise to God, for from Him and through Him and to Him belongs all the glory. God says, worship me and worship me alone, for I alone am God. And worship me as I have commanded, for in this there is great blessing. He speaks, we respond, and we go forth to proclaim. May God help us to worship Him in this week. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we consider Your commandments, perhaps we don't always think as carefully as we should, as precisely as we should, about how You call us to worship. How we worship when we are gathered together. When we see how You respond to worship that is not authorized in consuming Aaron's sons, how chilling that is. How frightful that is. Our God is a consuming fire. Let us approach in all humility and in fear. And when we do, You call us into Your presence, promising grace and mercy and peace through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And then as we close, You remind us that You go with us, for You have bound Yourself to us. And You grant us Your Spirit that we might proclaim Your glories, that we might expound 
your mercies, that we might live in the light of your word in our homes, in our workplace, that all the nations might be blessed. Oh Lord, help us to walk circumspectly, to walk carefully, precisely, to know that in our sin we have a Savior. Help us to be a people that repents and confesses and knows the peace that you give which passes all understanding in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you, Father. We praise you. For from you and through you and to you belong all things. To you alone belongs the glory. Amen.